Welcome to Misinformational, hosted by Rebecca Jones and produced by Big Mouth Media. This weekly podcast with Florida COVID whistleblower Rebecca Jones dives into the world of disinformation and how it's hurting America and democracy. Now, here she is, Misinformational. My name is Rebecca Jones, a.k.a. Misinformational. You are joining us for episode six of our podcast. And I am, of course, here today with the very lovely Dr. Cindy Banyai. Hi. How's it going, Rebecca? It's been a fun week. (laughs) Every week in Florida is another week where we learn the depths and depravity of all the assholes that are in charge here. Yeah. And it's interesting to watch when they start eating their own. So I've been in the headlines a lot (laughs) over the last week or so because I started publishing some of the information that had been trickling to me since last fall. And Mm -hmm. then the floodgates opened after the whole House Speaker election debacle in which Matt Gates was leading the charge of the Freedom Caucus to sabotage the election. Yeah. And of course it was a whole thing. It was on January like 5th and 6th. And so there was this anniversary thing that obviously they were trying to distract from. There was a near physical brawl on the house floor. There was that video and I don't know if we included it last time, but we're going to include it again if we didn't or did either way, because it's that enjoyable of Tim Birch, the representative from Tennessee threatening Matt Gates in an uncomfortably close position next to his face. And Matt Gates looks like he's seen the ghost of Christmas future and suddenly goes to the bathroom, changes his pants and then changes his vote. And then McCarthy is confirmed. But yeah, it's since that happened, I think they've put on like the bat signal for Republican dirt to be disseminated across the masses. I'm not the only person that people are talking to. I know that because I've been contacted by other reporters from everything from Vice to the Washington Post about confirming things that they heard from one or two of my sources, but no one seems to have gotten the like 13 that former staffers, current and former staffers that I've been speaking with this time. So I'm being trying to verify it as quickly as I can while making sure it's accurate. We have a lot that I have basically a list of like 56 individual items I need to fact check. And so far I think we've released five or six. It takes time. There were photographs involved that I'm still not quite sure how to handle. I'm going to be speaking with one of my advisors from when I was at Syracuse in the journalism school about what the appropriate way to deal with this is. So that'll be a conversation we have to have. But last Friday or Thursday or Friday, Matt Gates started panic firing people in his office. And on Monday or Tuesday, he fired Levi, who's an accountant that was working in an accountant firm, but worked for their, they were a client he uh, spilled the beans about one of uh, Matt Gates's donors doing some free kickbacks and got fired. And then Friday, I think it was, two staffers from the district were both fired. Both of them are veteran staff members for him. They've been there for years. And uh, they're actually considering a potential lawsuit for wrongful termination. So there's a lot going on with the panic and the fear in Matt Gates's office. And I'm going to be on top of it every step of the way. And it's become a theme in my life that you don't fuck with my kids. Matt Gates mm-hmm. had one of his staffers who at the time was on the GOP payroll, which of course is information you can access through the FEC because everyone that the Florida Republican Party pays as a staff employee is filed under their disclosures and his name is there. Followed and stalked my son. He took photographs of him at several different venues, published one of them online and bullied him for his autism, which Matt Gates reshared both on Twitter and Facebook. Followed him to the bathroom once, which prompted us to call the police on him. Of course, did absolutely nothing. And then we had to go through the hearing on the restraining order in which the judge said, basically, because I was a public figure, if what's being done to me is framed in a political context, then it can't be considered without legitimate purpose, which is what the stalking statute requires. However, the judge did scold Matt Gates and this person specifically. He called it propaganda. He said that it shouldn't happen, but... I'm public, so my kids apparently are for a game. And now I'm going to take Matt Gates down. So, you know, DeSantis, Gates, don't fuck with my kids. I'll come for you. I'm going to get you. But we had a huge breakthrough, at least for my sanity's sake, this week, when an article from the Daily Beast came out 
that described just really the tip of the iceberg of what I've been telling people about on this podcast for five episodes mm -hmm. now publicly in interviews and then of course on my Substack and during my campaign for two years that Christina Pusha, the registered foreign agent who previously was a state employee as Ron DeSantis's office press secretary, she was fired and had to go to his campaign in June after she was being investigated for failure to register as a foreign agent. So mm -hmm. she belatedly registered and had to leave state office. She, her three jobs, as we've said before, she's only had three. The first one was running propaganda and disinformation for the now imprisoned and stripped of his citizenship, former president of Georgia, Mikhail Saakashvili. I think I said that. I'm getting better with it. All these like Eastern European names are still tough for me. I'm a Nordic person. Eastern Europe, not my tongue doesn't want to do that. So after she left that job in late December of 2020, she came to Washington, D.C. And then for the next four months... Her project was stalking, harassing, and trying to defame me. I had no idea who she was. I just thought she was this weirdo person who wrote one blog post ever and kept claiming she was writing stories, but she did, she wasn't. She lied. And then after she was criminally charged with violating a restraining order I had to get to protect me from her, hmm. she got hired as DeSantis' press secretary. So those hmm. are her three jobs. And according to the Daily Beast and everything I've been telling you guys for years, she single-handedly does, in fact, run a massive Twitter bot army and disinformation campaign that sole purpose is to promote Ron DeSantis and destroy his perceived enemies on social media. They use ruthless tactics. They create and plant stories that are false. They target and relentlessly harass and defame people who speak out against DeSantis, not just me. We've talked about Dr. Peter Hotez, who's the Nobel Prize nominated for medicine, vaccine researcher, and the head of Texas Children's Hospital's pediatric and tropical medicine departments. Greatest, nicest guy on the planet. So basically anybody speaks out for him, they harass them. They harass anyone who mentions them. They are able to evade blocks, which is something that, of course, Twitter safety could take care of and doesn't. And this one person, of course, in particular, has tweeted about me 150,000 times in less than two years. 150 thousand times in less than two years. It's a, it's pretty pathetic. He's mentioned specifically in the article, but they do fail to mention his real identity, which is his name is Andrew McGimsey. He lives in Kokomo, Indiana. He's had like DUIs and public drunkenness charges. His dad was some kind of genius programmer who basically, I think it was something like developed the software that was used to map flight paths for hmm. air like practice across the whole country. So his dad was a genius programmer. This guy just seems like a washout who lives in his dad's basement now and just harasses people. But so yeah, they go over, the Daily Beast does, how the operation works, the fact that they are in fact getting paid and they do get paid per tweet. So do not engage these people. They are getting paid every time you react to them, which I've been telling people for years as well. And of course they've been denying, but no, it's true. Now they didn't get into some of the more nefarious and shady things, but they did raise questions about potential law violations in being paid as a political operative without disclosing that what mm. you are doing is paid political work. So any person, and they don't file it with their FEC filings. They think that they're using a conduit or that they're money laundering in order to pay these people. They also give them mm -hmm. perks like access to the inauguration parties. They hang out with Christina Pusha apparently all day and she just feeds them exactly what they're supposed to do. So it's highly coordinated, which of course mm -hmm. I knew. I received a leaked copy probably from one of the same sources that the Daily Beast spoke to of the 30 page manual on how to attack me on Twitter. And hmm. it had specific breakdowns of if someone is a black female, do this. If someone has like sympathetic to, you know, Ukraine or something, do this. Feign loyalty always, because as we've discussed, that's one of the biggest tools in the arsenal of getting people's trust is to make yourself seem like you're a member of the tribe. You're an ally who's coming to you not to cause harm or disarray, but out of concern to tell the truth. That's one of the most effective means of doing it. A bunch of dumbass Democrats in Florida fell for it and caused a bit of trouble in this year's election. Hope, luckily, they didn't have any actual power at the voting booth, but still, it's pathetic that we have people who take 
Daily Mail articles from anonymous Twitter trolls and then decide to sabotage congressional campaigns and, and down ballot campaigns as well, because anybody who was in proximity to me was targeted as well. There was a network map of the people that I work with and talk to. And basically any person who's publicly seen as an ally of mine is relentlessly trolled, harassed and stalked. Mm -hmm. That includes celebrities from Mark Ruffalo, who's been a huge supporter of mine for years, down to local people that they'll do that to. They That's had template texts that they would send if someone liked my page on Facebook. And it literally started with, I see that you liked Rebecca Jones's Facebook page. I just wanted to let you know that I used to believe her too, or I donated to this, or I totally was on board with her. And then I found out, and then links to far right media, like Breitbart, the National Review, things like that. It's insane. And it's effective. Yeah. But so let me just say this being press. I so I wanted so. to just give everybody a little perspective on this too, because I've gotten caught in this drain, this drain sucking down into the cesspool of the Christina Pusha and troll world on Twitter in particular. Twitter seems to be most effective, frankly. But yeah, it's and I noticed it because it was very strange. Anytime you would even tweet anything that said Rebecca Jones name in it. They came from nowhere and they would attack you and they would just do all sorts of crazy comments and things like that. And I just thought it was very straight, even before you and I had even met, I noticed that. And it it's a very strange thing. And it's, I noticed also the, the evasion of the blocks. I, it's so interesting that you said that because I know that I blocked some of these people from my page, from my campaign page, from my, from big mouth media, frankly, and they still keep popping up. And I'm like, wait a second. I know I blocked block them. So it's called it, console access. So there's other people who have been much sleuthier in the Twitter tech realm than me, who there's ways to trace if an account holder has five or six accounts. Obviously, there's a lot of very easily publicly accessible data, like the date the account was created and how many times they've tweeted. So if you see something that was created last year and they have 15,000 tweets, that's not a real account. That's not an authentic account. But people who know how to manipulate the API and kind of dig further, can trace all these multiple accounts back to a single person. The guy that I mentioned from Indiana runs a whole bunch of accounts. So does Cheryl Renaud. For some reason, she puts a ugly terrier dog in every single one of her profiles. It's, oh, I it's know not that even one. hard yeah. at this point to spot you out. Rosie right. is one of hers. Rosie, and then, yep. Yeah, the SoCal hippie or whatever. Dan Goldwasser is probably the only person... He's the probably the craziest, but the only person out of all of them who uses his real name, but he also has multiple fake accounts and they're not very good at hiding it because they're the accounts that are all tweeting each other at the exact same time. But yeah, so it's having console access make it impossible for you to block. So they, Twitter is one of the biggest things that the whistleblower talked about last year, last summer, was how there's no development protection side of Twitter. There's no logging of who did what to what account or what service and when. So if you have a subcontract for Twitter privacy, like a lot of these organizations that are involved with these people do, you just get console access and you can delete accounts, block accounts, suspend accounts, do whatever you want. Mm. And a lot of these people in my troll network just magically become unblocked. Dan Goldwasser suddenly became unblocked earlier today for me and I had to go through and block him again. You can't report these accounts either. I tried to, again, report the stalker account with the 150,000 tweets. And because they block you, you can't select their tweets to report, which means you can't move forward in the report. It's grayed out. You can't click next. So there's no way to actually even report people for targeted harassment if they block you and then harass you. It's bullshit. Twitter needs to fix it. But yeah, so that that article outed a lot of those accounts I've been telling people about for years, um, that it is a paid operation. It's probably in violation of multiple campaign finance laws and political advertising laws. Christina Pushaw is the person who's behind it. So I told you so, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it me. I was like, I told you. Yeah, it, it really was just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more there that I hope that somebody other than the Daily Beast, who has a notorious liberal bias, will investigate more. I've been speaking with the Miami Herald about it. They were a little reticent to do it. But now that somebody else has started it and they know so much more, they're moving forward with investigating it, which is great. Good. Because that's the other problem that we face here, I think, in Florida in particular, is that there's there is that even on a good day there's the reticence of how important is are these twitter trolls or whatever and then they don't want to get in trouble essentially from these political figures because they're so powerful in our state 
Yeah. And, uh, or they just don't want to deal with the harassment. They just beat people right. down to the point where, you know what, I'm not even going to retweet this because I don't feel like dealing with the crazy people. The most effective means of dealing with them is to report them, block them, mute them. That is what you should always do. I boot off anybody who starts posting bullshit on my thread and people are like, oh, you block me. I was like, yeah, you're not entitled to my thread. Fuck you. Get out of here. So I have no hesitancy about the block thing. I'm like, I got like 370,000 followers. I don't need this shit. Bye. Yeah. So that, that was that story, but we do have a good disinformation story that we, I want to touch on. Boy. All right. Yeah, there's a couple videos that don't have like noticeable sound, but if you're watching this, if you have the subscription, it's only $50 for a lifetime subscription to watch the video, you can see them and see how ridiculous they are. So this week, the COVID shakes um, disinformation campaign bubbled over to the surface. And this is where people are showing themselves trying to hold things or do basic things with their hands. And all of a sudden they're just, oh, shaking. And they, of course, blame this on the COVID vaccine. And these are mostly anti-vaxxer people. So odds are that they're not being authentic about whether or not they've been vaccinated. There was one in particular that somehow ended up on my radar. It's now been deleted, but I'm trying to find it. In which this woman who goes by the moniker now of COVID vaccine injury, of course, who's sitting at a table and the daylight and grabs a Bud Light or some other kind of cheap beer and is trying to lift it to drink it. And all of a sudden she starts shaking. I made a comment that maybe if you're in poor health, you shouldn't be day drinking like cheap beer, but you do you. But it's something that's been coming around all over the internet. And it's completely false. It's completely fabricated. As somebody who actually does have trouble like keeping my hands steady, combination of ADHD and probably the meds that I'm on, no shame there. That's offensive. It's disgusting. It's vile. It's fake. Obviously, this person has now made their account private, but they were enjoying the thousands of likes they initially got until I saw it and they put a hammer down and then she blocked me and then she deleted the video and made her account private. Whoops. But that's one disinformation agent we have taken off the market now because with her Yay. tweets being private, only the 300 people who follow her will be able to see what she's tweeting. Good job, internet. Thanks for helping me take down another disinformation agent. If you see things like that posted, this point on Twitter, you can still do it as an exercise of futility. They're not taking down anti-vax kind of disinformation stuff. There's been a lot of reports to Twitter and they're not acting on any of them. Like uh -huh. I said, if it makes you feel better, if you want to keep a log of things, you can request a copy of your report. That would be great. But at this point, muting them and blocking them is the most effective means of controlling that information from spreading. And according to Elon Musk, they're trying to tweak some of the COVID or sorry, some of the Twitter stats and the algorithm of how things are promoted so that if account is has a lot of blocks or a lot of mutes, it's downgraded in the Twitter algorithm. So all of these trolls that you see block and mute them because we might effectively be able to silence them by making sure that their reach a shrinks because you won't see their content, which is fewer views. But of course, Twitter is a self-enforcing machine. So the more views something gets, the higher it's promoted in the algorithm. And it might help ding them behind the scenes in the algorithm when they start making updates to not promote people who are blocked by tens of thousands of people. So that's the best tool in the arsenal. And now that it's been out that a lot of these people, at least the Pushaw, DeSantis ones, are being paid, don't ever engage because you're just donating money to these people who, according to the Republicans who outed this whole scheme, are MAGA washouts and the people who are really out there is how they described it. So basically a bunch of losers who will do nothing but tweet 24-7 a day attacking people and just resharing everything that Christina Push or that any of the other proxies tweets. They all do it with each other. They do it with a dozen accounts, sometimes even more than that. So it creates this false look of a swarm so right. that if multiple independent sources are repeating the same thing at the same time, there must be something to it. That's our natural inclination to be like, I'm seeing this everywhere. Trump right. is probably most famous for being like, oh, I'm seeing it's like, okay. That's, that doesn't make it legitimate. It, there is a natural feeling when you see something for many people happening to think right. that there might be some truth to it, but it's really just like 20 people push them down in the algorithm Block them and mute them. I'm about to sneeze. Oh. Sorry. I'll cut that out. <laughs> oh, no. And then you don't. It's so much worse. All right. Resume. 
So that is how we propose to deal with a lot of these people. And I'm certain that Pusha is not the only one doing that kind of operation, although DeSantis's is probably at the largest scale. Chris Boozy mm-hmm. from Bot Sentinel, who we will be speaking with about his new launch of Spoutable, which is an alternative social media network, the first Black-owned social media network in history. Um, he tracked down 100,000 fake accounts that Ron DeSantis gained in April of 2022 over a period of two days. All fake accounts. I started checking with the Twitter API. Most of them have now been suspended or banned for aggressiveness or for spamming or trolling, harassment, all kinds of things. But there was a huge payout of about 100,000. Now, of course, buying followers as Christina Pusha and her Twitter twat army is something that should result in the immediate and permanent suspension of the account holder who those fake accounts were directed to, regardless of who pays it. That was their argument for years. And I don't think Twitter at any time is going to be banning Ron DeSantis for his hundreds of thousands, not just that one time, but multiple times, fake follower build or what he's running with his disinformation campaign. But hey, they should. Yeah, they absolutely should. But now, unfortunately, as we've already talked about here, Twitter is now Elon's pet. And I don't think we can be confident that he's going to make any of these changes since he's so thoroughly decimated their workforce. Yes. And another strange thing about I've noticed about Elon's followers, and I'm sure many of them are fake. I I don't know if anybody knows this, but Elon's not an American. And there seems to be, just so you know that, he can be if he wants to be, I'm sure. He's rich enough. But he's not the, like, super MAGA patriot. He's not loyal to the United States. So all of these people talking about how he's working to do good for America. He's a global person. He's very much a global person. I think he would tell you that he is very much a global type view of person. He has business dealings all over the world. And the idea that he's coming through to promote American patriotism is ridiculous and absolutely absurd, but seems to be the number one and coronated attack of anybody who questions him. And I saw that myself when I commented when he was talking about how he's meeting with the heads of each party in Congress to make sure they're fair to both. I was like, we don't want you to be fair to the freaking politicians. We want you to be fair to us. We want you to be fair to the people who use this platform, the creators, the people who log in every day, who used to be able to get a decent news feed without having to put alerts on the only news ones and silence the rest that you don't want. That's who you should be really gone down to. Yes, it has. The book is better for news now. And that's something. Yeah. But I still think I need to build an app called like one post where you write out the text, you include any video or graphics, it automatically formats it for all of these social media networks and you just click it once. And then it goes to Insta, it goes to TikTok, it goes to Twitter, to post, to tribal, to Mastodon, to Spoutable, because we're getting so much any of them now it's overwhelming but i think we could probably make a lot of money with that app <laughs> there you go hold on to that idea yeah I so i was just thinking about about elon musk when you were talking about him too because yeah he's south african and his mother's canadian and usually south africa because it's within the uh, within the british, british. Yeah. Monarchy. You can have, if your parents are from the other countries too, you can usually get reciprocal citizenship and passports. But I don't know. And I thought about that too, as he's talking during the election and stuff. I don't know if he's gotten an American citizenship to be able to vote even. I don't know. And even if he did, it's not as if this is somebody whose concern is American democracy over his pursuit of global capitalism. So it's just a very bizarre line for him to be involved with. And it's also bizarre that he really only talks about American politics. He's in the Middle East a lot with some very shady and, oh, cat, get off my charging cord. Sorry, my cat's attacking my feet. But uh, shady characters. And of course he has a lot, a lot of business in Western Europe. Never talking about Western Europe politics. It's all about United States politics, which is interesting. And I'm not going to get into that man's psyche. It's a hodgepodge of ego and insecurity and authoritarianism. And I don't know. The only redeeming thing. That's the other thing too, is like all this stuff and call them what are the, the colonial Emerald mine baby. Because that's where he's come from. That's how he's made his money. And it came from legacy wealth, from colonialism colonialism and exploitation. So yeah, yeah, some of the worst industries that you could possibly gain wealth. And that's why he loves the Donald Trump types and all this kind of stuff. Because it's an explanation of how and why he is where he is. And he can feel good within the American construct of bootstrap pulling and wealth equals goodness. 
And yeah. the fact of the matter is none of that's true. <laughs> the, none yeah. of that is true. It's he, he, he landed on, what do they say? Born on third base. And oh, scored, God, that guy was born scored, they congratulate themselves. Yeah. He was born halfway from third base to home. Self-made thing is to me just, it's one of the most absurd things. I'm probably the poster child for bootstraps. My mom was 13 when she got pregnant with my sister or she was raped. She was not given a a choice. She was 21 by the time she had four kids. We grew up poor and I'm poor. Like we didn't always have a place to live poor in South Mississippi in an educational system that is the worst in the country by nearly every single metric, except for teacher pay. Florida beats it on that. Florida's worse than Mississippi, which is fantastic. But yeah. I, and I managed to not just go to a top 50 university, but I graduated cum laude. I got my master's degree. I'm going to be finishing my PhD. I became Forbes's first ever tech person of the year, nominated for a John Maddox prize. I am bootstraps. And I hate that trope because for every person there is like me, there's probably a thousand that were just as smart, just as capable, just as talented in whatever the thing is that they're talented in that never got out. My family's a freak of nature that we all went to college and that we all pursued these bigger things. And uh, like my older sister is, has been teacher of the year in Mississippi twice. And it's just, that's an exception. And it it's not something that like I did on my own either. Like anybody who's actually crawled out of the gutter knows that they did it with the help of a whole lot of people all along the way who believed in them and saw something in them that even at times they didn't see in themselves and helped them survive some of the hardest times. Nobody does that on their own. And uh, that part of that American bootstraps lore is that, oh, they did it despite the odds and the credit is due solely to them. And I'm like, no, there are a hundred people or more. I owe what I've been through and survived for what they did for me. And uh, it's just really disingenuous to act, especially if you were born rich. Like you deserve it or you've That's the difference it. though. And I would say, yeah. so as obviously your path has been really amazing. Okay. But education. <laughs> kind of people like it as a story because well, it, sure. it, it gives like, them, it provides like an example to them of why what they believe is true. See, she grew up poor in South Mississippi and look what she did. And I'm like, yeah, but. I'm like one of two people in my whole town that ever got out. But there's parts of this that are not even the same of the way that, that people talk about the bootstrap when it comes to capitalism or internalized capitalism. It's like you got an education and yeah, you're not impoverished in a, a small town anymore, but you didn't build Twitter. Like that's where these differentiation comes in. Cause I'm in a similar situation too. I was born to teen parents and I got my education, but I even feel that on my path, people are just like, okay, so what you got a PhD by 30. Who cares? And I'm like, oh, okay. It's, but did you start a multi-million dollar company? Because that's really what the metric is. It's not necessarily education. It's this accumulation of wealth that is glorified. Even if you started wealthy, but you made more wealth, right. that's bootstraps. It's, oh, he like Trump's whole right. a million dollar loan from his dad or whatever. I was like, yeah, it goes to this false idea of, sorry, this idea is true, is that you have to have money to make money. But right. somehow gives the false credit to the person who started out with the money. It's, oh, you right. took an investment and you did good with it. Who gave you the investment? How was that investment earned? And what, what were your practices like once you got the money? Were you a person who used your wealth responsibly? Were you a person who was socially conscientious about what you were doing? To that extent, I have to give Eli some credit because Tesla is on the frontier of developing a lot of renewable energy and stuff in the automobile industry and with the solar panel industry. But that's because he found a niche and he went for it. He would just as well. And he got subsidies for anything. it. Yeah. He's got subsidies for it. Let's be clear. Yeah. And that was my second, my, the second thing that I was thinking as you were talking is that when it is somebody like you, when you began your education journey and you were a poor kid and then, you know, you have access to scholarships and things like that, the it's more apparent what the social and the government contri contribution is, right? Yeah. Public education, all that kind of stuff. What's less salient is the public investment in Elon Musk. Yes. People don't think about the millions of dollars that went into the research that he leveraged for 
Tesla, right? They don't think about the subsidies that went to the consumers who bought his cars. Those are all things that allowed Elon Musk and Tesla and tens of thousands of other entrepreneurs and bootstrap pullers in the United States to make their money. And it was government investment, but it doesn't look the same way as a quote unquote handout to a poor kid in a school. Yeah. And of course, we saw some of this disproportionate blame on handouts during the whole student loan forgiveness debate. Like um, most people don't realize how variable student loan interest rates are, but they're higher than home loan rates. Sometimes they are twice as high. And we're talking about an advanced education that allows a person to earn more over their lifetime and contribute more to society in the way that they're gifted or chosen. And so student loans for people like me, especially in graduate school, help us get that education. And I was charged because, of course, I was enrolled during the recession for all of my education during the Great Recession. At one point, my interest rate was 7.8%, which is biblically criminal. So that's like a stone you to death if you charge interest rates, that high type of thing for an education. Now, while I believe that student loan debt does need to be forgiven, I thought we could at least agree upon as a society that student loans should have a 0% interest rate Mm -hmm. and that the servicing of those loans could be paid by the government as it has a vested interest in seeing talented people who do not have money contribute to greater things in society. But they wouldn't even concede that. 0% interest on education should not be a controversial subject, and yet it is. And now we're starting to see more of the people targeting people who had or got other government grants for, especially for public schools. Now, my undergrad was a private school, so I didn't get that stuff. I went to Syracuse. It's one of those places that now costs like $75,000 a year. The university paid for my scholarships to there, so I didn't get public grants. But it was mostly scholarship and then some loans. But we're getting to the point now where people are never climbing out of debt. There were discussions at some point about extending the student loan repayment period. So currently the maximum that you can force a person to pay on their student loans is 30 years. It's a mortgage at whatever rate they qualify for. So if you qualify for a low income or if you're in public service, it's prorated, but you still could be forced to pay for it for 30 years. Now they're talking about not having a limit, which is insane. And of course, these are things they want to do to loans that are already in repayment. So like mine, we saw this with Betsy DeVos when she started canceling all the public loan student forgiveness programs. So when I took out my loans and what a lot of other people did, we did so under the agreement that if we worked in public service for 10 years and we made all of our qualifying payments, the full balance remaining would be forgiven. Public service jobs tend to be lower paying, but they're the types of things that keep society going, like state scientists and mid-management in the Florida Department of Health. And then DeVos denied, I believe it was 97% of the applications that came through for people who had met those requirements. To me, that's fraud. Those loans were taken out on that agreement. The borrower was assured that if they followed that process when they signed that paperwork, that they would qualify for forgiveness. But of course, good luck suing the federal government for fraud for student loan violations, but it's really comes down to we're targeting people who struggle like ourselves and receive any assistance or help, even for having a ridiculous interest rate. And yet we lionize people like Elon Musk, who started out with so much, built upon the wealth he already had with our assistance still. So even he needed assistance to get to that point. Oh, and got much more. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking like millions and millions of dollars of assistance went directly to Elon Musk's profit. And it pales in comparison to what, yeah, a student loan, an individual student loan debt looks like. They say, oh, job creator or whatever, but it's how do we quantify that? I have a business. I can hire people. Yeah. According to the Daily Beast, there's an entire bot army that gets paid to attack me. So I'm a job creator too. Yeah, you are a job creator. Look at you. Lots of jobs. Because they're all getting paid every single time they disparage me. And if I didn't exist, they wouldn't be making that money. So I'm a job creator for the Republican Party. Go go. figure. They should get rid of your student loan debt. (laughs) (laughs) I've paid more. The funny thing is, too, is I've paid more in taxes than I ever borrowed from student loans over the last however old I am. And yet I still owe 200 and some thousand dollars in student loans, which is more than I took out. So it's, yeah. Rebecca, it's awful. It is. And I grew up in a place where 
we were taught that if you had that chance, if you made it out, it didn't matter if it was basketball or football or baseball or academics or whatever it was, you took it, whatever the price was, you took it yeah. because otherwise you were going to be stuck there doing the same thing your parents did for the rest of your life. And your kids would be stuck there. Their kids would be stuck there because that's how it works, especially in the rural poor South. And student loans, yeah, I was warned, sell your soul in the, or sell your body on the streets, I think, before you take out student loans is what my French instructor <laughs> taught me <laughs> in high school. She actually told me that. She said, um, you should sell your body on the street before you take out student loans. But I was like, there's no other way. And I got into Penn State as well. But because I had only been in Pennsylvania for nine months before college started, I didn't qualify for in-state tuition. So it's not like I didn't explore the public education route as well. But Syracuse ended up being cheaper than all the public schools I got into because their scholarship offer was so huge. So even then I started to take out loans because room and board was like 12 grand a year and scholarship covers tuition. It doesn't cover books. It doesn't cover food. It doesn't cover your lodging. It doesn't cover anything that you need to live. So yeah, I started taking, I think it was 15 grand out a year. And then of course I had my son in college and needed more to pay for off-campus rent because they don't allow you to do that in dorms obviously it probably wouldn't be a good idea yeah and it's they used to back in the day they used to have they called it family housing they people used to get married they, in college and have kids yeah they still have some of those at syracuse but you normally had to like have an assistantship or something to be able to access those and the biggest ones they had were like these crappy two bedroom apartments that I ended up living in a crappy two bedroom apartment. But unironically, that crappy two bedroom apartment off campus was cheaper than paying for the one that was on campus, which I was not sure how that happened, but it did. So that's what we did. But yeah, it's really horrible the way that we idolize people for stacking wealth on wealth with our help and yet demonize those who accomplish great deeds with a little, with far less help from nothing. And yeah. But I think that's indicative of our entire moral decline um, in America and in capitalism at large. But it reminds me of the trope, if you've ever heard it, that Americans, American culture can sometimes be described as, especially like middle class and lower class, lower socioeconomic statuses as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. <laughs> So yeah. it's like, and that's why it's constantly punching down this internalized capitalism. This is what it's done to us. It's yeah. there's this dangle of hope that if you just, it's, it, if you just work hard enough, if you just pull your bootstraps up enough, then you too can become extraordinarily wealthy. Like it's not just like stable. It's like extremely wealthy, like Elon Musk. And right? if you're not, it's because you didn't work hard enough or you're not. You didn't smart. work hard enough. Exactly. But it's, it, and so there's this persona that Americans carry with them that even if they are not Elon Musk wealthy. They could be. They could be. They really wanted to be, right? They really wanted to be. Yeah. They yeah. just did this a little, cut a little bit more corners or whatever, but it seems to be truly tied to the American identity related to capitalism. It is. And that's what's wrong with politics in general. Those attitudes carry through to the kind of the selfishness that we see in modern conservative policy recommendations to mm -hmm. cut off people who are struggling because it's their fault. Yep. They should just do better. Right. A society that does not enable people to do upward mobility has been declining since the 90s. It's not been getting better. And so and it, it wasn't very good to begin with. No, um, it, it was very rare when people in lower socioeconomic statuses even got out and up. And in fact, this, the latest generations of Americans are more likely to be less wealthy and less well-off than their parents. And, and a large part of that is student loans, to be fair. <laughs> so, yeah. Also disinvest in what I call fiscal conservative bullshit in our policy is that they're even talking about now our conservative or our Republican house is talking about making work requirements for SNAP and Medicaid. Yes. And it's just absolutely insane because the, that's not We're what these are for. Children. We're talking about punishing the children and people who are struggling. Right. And that's one of the things is like, they also created this illusion, which is fake. So we should put that under our disinformation that all of the people who receive public assistance are able-bodied persons who are just sitting at home on their couch and not working. Most right. people who receive SNAP benefits work full-time jobs. They just right. do not make enough money to be able to afford rent and food. SNAP can only be used for food. And we're talking about people with kids, a regular adult who's, let's say, my age and works a full-time job and makes 
even if it's low, if it's like $30,000 a year, can't just go get on. Most of the time it's based on your household size and you get into eligibility when you have children. And so now we're talking about punishing and starving, literally starving children right? because of this just completely detached from reality idealism that I got mine and that's what I care about. And uh, And let's call a spade a spade on this too, that these folks are working low wage jobs a lot of times. And so actually it's feeding into the profits of these companies to pay their workers low wage. So if somebody is working full time and oftentimes it's not at one place, it's working an, 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 a, like a 40 hour part time at two because they don't want to give them benefits yep. and they don't want to have them be qualified as full time workers at their establishment. And so they so also don't get health care. And they don't get health care. And that is because that was something that it was the double edged sword in Obamacare was that they, they made it so if you went over that 20 hour a week, threshold that you had to offer your staff health care if you had 50 or more employees. So what everybody did is just put everybody under that 20 hour a week. But and that so also would qualify that individual for health care through the health care exchange at a subsidized rate. The problem is they started trying to hack away at that as well. And but, so now we're talking about the public welfare system, including the marketplace for health plans, including SNAP, including Medicaid, is subsidizing the profits of companies who are not paying their workers a fair wage. And the vast majority of those people who work those jobs are in the service industry. So they're people who work at McDonald's or they work at a restaurant here on the beach and they serve rich people who don't hit them and restaurants that don't pay them. And we end up subsidizing their health insurance and their food because their companies are too cheap to do it. And now you throw in, let's throw in the inflation because of the market disruptions of COVID. Let's throw in the housing crisis. Now here we have an overpriced, where I live here, Southwest Florida, Cape Coral and Fort Myers are not only the most overpriced rental markets in the country, but it's the most overpriced housing market. So even for purchase housing are above and beyond what market rate should be. And let's throw in the hurricane, 12,000 houses were destroyed. So people cannot even afford to work and yep. can't even afford a house, let alone to work, right? So these are the people that are really in the pinch. So it's absolutely disgusting, frankly, to see people in Congress take this bootstrap mentality, take this, the government handout, blah, blah, blah mentality, and tell people that they're going to have to work to get it when they're already working. And of course, its fa- entire foundation is based on a broad acceptance of disinformation. These ideas yep. that poor people don't work, that we have able-bodied adult men who are getting, I don't know what people think, probably way more than what SNAP maximum benefits could ever be just to sit around at home and not work, or that people don't want to work, which was something that we saw after the first initial waves of COVID when people were taking care of six people or their kids were sick at school. And so they had to, as they should, isolate for some period of time and the parents didn't have sick leave, which was something we should have accomplished during COVID and we failed to do, which is to me, it's only the only thing I could think of, which was more of a failed opportunity was to take meaningful action on gun regulation after Sandy Hook. I told my husband after that, I said, if we don't do it now, it'll never happen. And it hasn't. And I feel the same way about if we see any change in workers' rights for paid sick leave. Of course, we're the only Western country in the world that does not obligate that. And then we won't see it for decades. If we don't do it, if we didn't do it last year, we're never going to do it. They missed that opportunity and it's a shame. But that's partly because even the Democrats perpetuate some of these ideas that you're corporate capitalist Democrats, that people just need to work harder, just do better. And lack of empathy, I think, across the board in our political system, which is would not succeed without the rampant disinformation about how our society functions and who these people that we're talking about are, because that's the most important thing. Remember, they're human beings or people. Most of these people that we're talking about are children. Without the disinformation campaigns that have been widely successful, nobody would believe it. They are. And there's a tie back to that as well, because not only are these policies that are being put in place or the tweaks on things like Social Security and Medicare being put forth based on disinformation about how people should work, but it's also disinformation about how our economy works, 
how our fiscal system works, how our monetary system works. And it is being fueled by folks who ultimately want to dismantle and privatize all of these incredibly well-run and massively funded government programs. So the reason that people want are really so hot about social security right now is not because it's that they're worried about it not being Sullivan. Okay. Let's be hundred percent honest with that because when it comes down, when push comes to shove, we could fund social security if we want to, all these things that we put into it, the FICO, the trust, those are contrived. Our government budget, there is no lockbox. I know I was working on Capitol Hill during the social security lockbox discussion. There is no lockbox. The money goes into the general accountability and then we can pay for it if we want to. However, because it's so much money, so many people, the private sector investment firms are just rubbing their hands. They can't wait to get Republicans in there to privatize it and make it so that it's mandated from those accounts to their financial coffers. That's what this is really about. And Rick Scott, of course, who's up for re-election next year, is leading the charge on that. And again, that, like you said, it's an element of disinformation to it. People think that when they pay into Social Security every month, that it goes into an account with interest accrued into with their name on it, and that is their money. That is not how these social systems work. I'm paying right now for everyone who's retired. That money is gone. It's not being put somewhere for me. You pay into it to support other people. And uh, the whole, yeah, like you said, the lockbox that people think it is, that's my money. I put it in there. I want exactly what I put in there plus the interest. That is not how the system works. One of the reasons right now that we are struggling or perceivably struggling is because we have a very large population that is about to qualify in full for social security via the baby boomer. And they really want to dismantle that system and privatize it because that is going to be the biggest cash grab that they could possibly get before younger generations, which are smaller populations get up there and we're obviously more liberal. And so they know that we'll push it back, but at least for a little while, they can make bank on all these boomers that are reaching retirement age at the expense of those people who support people like Rick Scott. So, yep. But it's a terrible disinformation. And actually it was funny because it started, that whole idea started as a way to make Americans feel like they've bought into the system. But from the very beginning, it was always a charade. Sadly, it was a way to get people bought into the system, but there was never on the backside. We have a general government expenditure. And actually, these quote-unquote entitlements are the largest component of it. And because we're obligated to pay those, and because we have things like PAYGO in Congress, we can't ever fund everything that we want. So we have to make cuts in other places. And that's why it's so dangerous that we had these fiscally conservative Republicans who held the guillotine over these necks saying, oh, we want the balanced budget amendment. We want all this stuff because they want to cut those things down. They want to not only cut the programs that Americans rely on, but they want to eat into those entitlements as well. The defense budget, they want to keep going, but everything they else they want- pretty much every single year. Because we've already privatized much of the defense industry. That's yep. the other thing. Is Most of it goes to private contractors and military. It goes defense. to private contractors without any competition too, because they were already privatized components of the federal government. Halliburton had been a part of the defense department and then it was privatized. And now they're the only provider that can do the work that they do. So it's really just a bait and switch. It's a privatization of American government functions. It's yeah. to build an oligarch class here because they're it not is. competing. This is not a free market. This is about, and I think, and then we were talking about this the other day about the, like my friends at Gaslit Nation, Sarah Kenzier and Andrea Chalupa, they talk about what the point of a lot of this disinformation, especially the ones with the Russian ties, is to build the oligarch class and then sell off America for parts. Yep. It's to and privatize all these For time, we probably shouldn't get into it today, but I'll build up a case file for it for next week. We'll yeah. talk about what's happening in Florida public schools and the recent announcements about the vouchers and school choice. Yeah, we'll build up a whole file about that and we'll just get into that because a lot of my players down here are right in there with that. This is Byron Donald's baby. Yeah, I know, right? And both of us having children who have grown up in the public school system in Florida. My son is in seventh grade now and he's gone to Florida's public schools every grade since kindergarten. My daughter right now is in pre K and will be 
actually we'll be enrolling in a different state because we are leaving, but would have been here. And uh, she is in the VPK program though right now. And so what's happened to Florida schools, the lack of funding to teachers, and then the disinformation about teachers and their roles. And of course the voucher program and how it actually works and what that means and how to cut through the lies should be a topic we explore next week. And yeah, it should be because, and what we're going to have to do a little bit of offline discussion on is how actually they're using autistic children to make the Which case of course is a very price. personal subject for me because my son is. I know. And that's what I was saying because some dear friends of mine who run a program for children here were championing that on behalf of these far right school of choice folks. And if you guys aren't watching the video of this, you're really only getting half the show. (laughs) I know it's terrible, but it's sometimes people think that because they're not getting the services in the public school, that another choice is going to be better. But unfortunately there's just no regulation and oversight in those places. And they often not even required background checks on their teachers. And they don't actually have to take those children. Yeah. And if they get in trouble, they can kick them out. And they don't have and to. And all it does them. is reroute tax. Okay. We'll get into that. We got to get into that next Let's week. That next week. <laughs> I'm saying, like, this, this is not just like a, hey, we're going to defund and privatize the public schools with private dollars, but there's a huge disinformation story that goes along with yes, it. Yes, there is. And a lot of it's rooted in the same themes we just discussed, but that conversation could be 45 minutes in itself. And we're almost at an hour. So we're going to let you next week. We do, will cover, of course, the schools, as we just mentioned, there will be some more Matt Gates breaking news that will break here. So you'll want to be tuned in for that. <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, of course, this week's story was the COVID shakes for misinformation. And we'll see what crazy happens in the next week for next week's <laughs> crazy story. If you want to subscribe, it's 50 bucks right now for a lifetime membership to get all of our videos, extras, foundation member. Yes. And I'm a founding member as well. Really, if you're getting just the audio, we were trying to do our best, but you're really missing the facial expressions (laughs) that kind of make this show a little bit less depressing and more entertaining. And the audio clips and stuff that we put in. Yeah, we do try to put in the extra information so that you have it and you can see that we're the real deal. That, that you can actually get the information and know that it's coming from a qualified source. Yeah. And we're weekly. We air every Thursday and you can, you don't have to, we don't do a live thing. So you can go and watch it anytime. You can listen to it in your car. You can watch it in the bathtub with a bottle of wine. Who cares? Do what you want to do. But we're going to be going hard with some pretty big national breaking news over the next few weeks. And uh, I can't say anything more than that because it's crazy and I have to fact check everything. And hey, by the way, we live in Florida and it's always nuts here. So there's always something to talk about. Yes, it is. And for all the bots that I'm sure will troll us on this, you've been outed. Give it up. Fuck you. All right. So (laughs) that's episode, I think, six or seven of our podcast. Thank you, Cindy, for being here. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining Misinformational with Rebecca Jones, brought to you by Big Mouth Media. Stay connected by visiting misinformational.com and check out all the great shows and articles on bigmouthmediafl.com. You can also join the conversation with us on Facebook, Instagram, and the cesspool that's Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to Misinformational wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Thanks for joining Misinformational with Rebecca Jones, brought to you by Big Mouth Media. Stay connected by visiting misinformational.com and check out all the great shows and articles on bigmouthmediafl.com. You can also join the conversation with us on Facebook, Instagram, and the cesspool that's Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to Misinformational wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.